stop focusing a lot on just women in fintech and focusing on how do we have diversity of thought. But, but as we build a team, it is about how do we create an environment where people feel this sense of belonging, where people trust each other. And then it doesn't matter like the color of your skin, the religion, the gender. It's like we could all look different and have different backgrounds. And you put us all in this melting pot. But if we don't have that environment where people have psychological safety, where people feel that they trust each other, where they can genuinely be themselves and say, quote unquote, stupid idea without any fear of somebody going to look at me weird. I think then diversity is just a facade. So it's not just diversity in terms of who you have in the room, but it's like in which environment you have them in the room. And I think that should be the future of diversity, focusing on creating that environment for everyone to be able to express. Welcome to the FML Podcast. A podcast on a mission to uncover actionable insights, explore the latest trends, and to catalyze your fintech's growth. Join Growth Gorilla's founder and managing director, Shamir Sajdev, and some of fintech's hardest-hitting marketers and leaders. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the FML Podcast. Today, we're joined by Monica Milares. Principal product at Big Pay. Monica, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Shamir. The pleasure is mine. Thank you. Looking forward to our chat. Brilliant. Look, as I always start, for everyone listening today, could you just share us a, a little bit more about yourself and, and your journey so far? I don't like starting with, I work on this and I do that. So I'll start with, I am a very energetic person which kind of it's very characteristic of me. So I'm very energetic, I'm very curious, and that has led me to build a very exciting career as such. So I started my career in financial services since the very beginning in Mexico. Then in the UK, I continued in like the big names in banking as such. And then I had the opportunity to jump from the big corporates to the startup world in fintech. This is back then in, 2000, I don't know, 13, 14, when all the fintechs in the UK were just getting started. So we had Tandem, Monzo, Revolut, Starlink. We were all starting at the same time. So the founder of of Tandem reached out and it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. They didn't have a banking license. They didn't even have a name. So I took a leap of faith and left Barclays and joined this concept. And this the beginning of what was like the fintech revolution in the UK. So I worked a few years in tandem. And then I basically was approached with this amazing opportunity to go and build Neo Bank in Southeast Asia. So I moved to Malaysia and I've been here for the past six years building Big Pay since the very, very beginning. Tell us a little bit about Big Pay. Who are they? What do they do? We are now a Southeast Asia Neo Bank. We're currently are in Malaysia and Singapore, opening very soon in Thailand. And we're here to help people level up their lives, their financial lives, in general, their lives, financial lives, one transaction at a time. So we help people with money management, payment solutions, sending money abroad, the whole suite lending, have the whole suite of products that you would expect from a neobank. 
you started off in the in the very traditional banks. You've now moved over well into the fintech space. What drew you to the fintech sector? And I suppose also what uh, what keeps you passionate about it? What drew me was this sense of this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and I cannot miss it out. Does a little bit of FOMO. <laughs> so when I met Ricky and the team, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There were no new banks. So back then it was like, oh, we're building a bank from scratch. And at the time, the Bank of England could only give them one banking license in the past 100 years. So it was something that was like, it had never been done before. And then Ricky put together like an A team. It was a really strong team, not only from people in banking, from across disciplines. So it was the excitement of, okay, let's go and build this bank from scratch. And Ricky was very purpose-driven as such. So since the very beginning, the idea was banking is broken. Stress, financial stress is one of the top stresses for people in the UK and besides across the world. And therefore, we were in a mission to build a good bank. Not a new bank, but a good bank that did good for people. And I think that's what drove us to be so passionate and aggressive as such. That's what kind of brought me in fintech as such. The why I stayed in fintech, that's a different, that's a different story altogether. Similar, but different. It is challenging. It's quite challenging. Like whomever has worked in a fintech knows that there's a lot of pressure just to survive. That's number one. And then number two, if you've worked in a big corporate, when you jump into a fintech, you're like, oh, we don't have the resources that I used to have in a big bank people, type, like all of that. So then it is a lot of accountability to go and deliver that thing. So in a big corporation, you were a little piece of the huge machine and here you are building the machine with just a few people. So that process of building something as big as a new bank for a credit card product or whatever it is, with just a few people compared to hundreds of people, I guess it's the story of going through the challenge from zero to we've launched and we've grown it. I find that fascinating. So that's why. So I just like the challenge of doing that. And then number two, when I moved to Tandem, I moved because I believed in this idea of money stress, financial stress is a big thing in people's lives because it has been in my life. So since the very beginning, I believed in that idea and then I also realized like very early that we could do something about it. And then eventually it was like, as I started growing in the fintech industry, I acquired so much knowledge, expertise, lessons, mistakes. Like I've been on the ground that I'm like, all this cannot be just like, oh, and now I'm just going to go and do nothing or change industries. Like it keeps me going to know that the knowledge that I have and the expertise that I have can help drive a better financial services industry across the world because it is a pain point for the great majority of people across the world. So it's important. It's an important pain point for me. And I've got the skills, so I don't throw it away. I leverage. If you look back, you mentioned when FinTech was first started, like 2014, 2015, I think it's it's quite impressive to see how far the industry has come along to the point where 
it's now blurred lines between fintech and, and traditional financial services. I think we get asked quite a bit, oh, do, do you do, would you work with traditional financial services companies? And I think the majority of, of fintech firms now have to be fintech. They have to adopt tech in order to compete with the fintech brands that are out there. Even HSBC has had to massively step up their game in their usability, in their UX and for their app, for example. And, and they're still not competing, in my view, with Starling Bank and Monzo. It, it's shocking. So come and talk a little bit about your role as principal of product. What is a principal of product? It is a leadership role, basically. Product leadership role. So just for background, like I moved to Malaysia to help set up Big Pay from scratch. So I've been in the product team since the very beginning. So I know the, the dynamics of the company, let's say, inside out as a product expert. But when I first joined, I was the head of product of one, right? <laughs> I was just like one and then grow the team. There's been many changes within the organization. And right now we are in a place where the company has grown. Of course, people have come and gone within the past six years. So the team that we have now, it's, let's say the latest team. It's also a new team to product, new team to fintech and such. So the big part of my role is working hands-on with the team, ensuring that we're doing product, e.g. from the rigor of discovery and things like risk assessments, compliance, legal, all the elements of product well done across all the squads, across all the PMs. So it's a role that it's very hands-on. It's also very coaching, guidance, training. I run trainings within the company as well. And at the same time, it's a role that it's very close to Exco at the same time. So kind of leadership, working closely with the CEO and the rest of the team. But then at the same time, I'm super hands-on with the rest of the team. For me, I find it very interesting because it amplifies my impact. Before it was more of a, oh, I'm driving and creating all these, but now I'm like driving and creating all these through the team rather than through me only. I find it fun. Yeah, I was going to say, how, how did you find that transition, making that move from being hands-on to taking more for a role where you're, you're directing your team? I like that question a lot. And I've asked this to other people as well, because I'll talk about what people don't talk about. It is hard mindset-wise because you are used to being the driving force, you're used to like giving the updates. Exactly. You are the one driving and all of a sudden you need to a step back and you are not the one driving anymore. You need to enable others and empower others. So that's the most challenging thing. It's the inner game of saying, am I still adding value? Yes, you are adding a lot of value just in a different way. And now you are helping others empowering others and training and teaching others so that then they can be the drivers and high performers or such. So it does take a shift in mindset, especially, I guess it's the inner conversation of, oh, what's my role if I'm not, if it's not visible, if it is not tangible, before it's very tangible what you're doing. And now it's not tangible what you're doing because you're not doing it, the others are doing it, but then the results speak the outcomes of 
the team as such. So it, it does require a change in mindset and then you just need to acknowledge that's needed. So then you can adapt. Just thinking about big pays growth over the last six years, like you've said, you start off as a team of one, you now have a team that sits under you, you're directing them and leading, and leading them. It'd be great to understand what that, what did that journey look like and the contribution of product to growth and I suppose some of the challenges that you encountered along the way. I've been so fortunate to be able to see this growth, right? Because six years is a long time in a company, especially these days. So I started from scratch with one person, then the team grew, but then as the team grows, it's not just the product team, it's the company grows. And then let's say that we started as one product. It was just an app with a card. That's it. And then eventually year one or year and a half, then we're like, oh, we're going to expand to a new business line as such, but it's the remittances business. So back then my mandate from the CEO was like, oh, we need to launch remittances by this date. And I was like, what? But then back then transfer wise, I'm like, that was the whole business for transfer wise. <laughs> we cannot do this, but it was very aggressive. So we went from payments, card payments to then expanding into two business lines, then it was payments and then remittances. And then it was from one geography to two geographies. We opened to Singapore. Then once we had multi-geography, multi-product, then we started growing the product lines as such. And then as we started growing, of course, it comes the growth pains of the team is bigger. You are not, you go from a start, like a, core startup to becoming a little bit of a scale of a such. So then you stop having visibility of what everyone in the team is doing because not until that work, you cannot be that close to everything. So this is when we start transitioning into having better processes, better ways of working. And this doesn't change like the processes we've been changing and updating processes for the past many years because they change as the company grows as the structure of the whole team, the whole, as in the company, how we work together, it starts changing as we grow our products, as we people come and go, as the team expands. So it's an ongoing, that's why it never gets boring because it's ongoing, it's an ongoing challenge to improve. So you mentioned obviously becoming multi-product and then becoming multi-territory. We speak to a lot of marketers on this podcast and, and we talk a lot about the challenges around managing that from a marketing perspective, which is mostly around communications and then channel mix. They're kind of the two big considerations. And then there's always that underlying tone of regulatory considerations that, 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 that need to be obviously taken into consideration. How does growth impact, especially multi-product, multi-territory? How does that impact the product team? And what are the marketers perhaps that listen to this podcast not aware of? And what could you communicate to them about your challenges and your team's challenges that would perhaps help marketing and, and help that sort of communication between marketing and product? I think the biggest challenge is that we think growth and then we think product as two different teams for two different things. When it, in reality, that's the biggest challenge to work in silos. So mm. then the, I would say it's about working, genuinely working together. 
So it's not the marketing team needs to achieve this. It's we as a company, we have this goal. Therefore, we need to learn how to work better together. And it includes the how do you run meetings, for example, how do you communicate OKRs. Uh, all that is important when it comes to growth. And I think the underlying challenge is that generally speaking, marketing and product tend to be very creative people. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> and we are aggressive. But then there's two sides of the coin that it's like one is tech. Is it technically feasible? You can come up with all, you go to talk to customers or you ideate, you come up with all these ideas, but then you're like, we cannot do it this way, or it could mean a lot of technical debt, or we have this limitation for partners. So that tech consideration is very important and super, super important is legal regulatory compliance. Every single product line and every single geography will have its own guidelines that we need to follow. And then when doing, looking at all of these in isolation is when we start having friction, not working as a high performance team. The moment that you create an environment where you have psychological safety, an environment where uh, the objectives are clear, where everyone really can work together as one team, that's when you start seeing more high performance. It's not perfect, but uh, it's a journey. We see here in, in our agency, I think, but one of the, one of the key highs that we brought in was an ops manager, head of ops to effectively stitch together all of the teams, all the departments, and then create standard, standard operating procedures. And then from that, we immediately saw improvements in output performance, staff happiness, client retention, all of those things. It's amazing that. The impact that can have. Yeah, I imagine it's the same in a product-led organization as yes. well, right? Even more so, if anything. Exactly. Because it is, at the end of the day, what I've noticed is so there's a lot of frameworks out there for growth and a lot of frameworks for product. But then in reality, the biggest key contributor to success and high performance is culture. Not a framework. Mm. It's culture. And the how you create culture is by the how you work on a day-to-day basis, like you say, from processes to leadership style and communication style. And it's the sum of those intangible things that yeah, then yeah. you have a plan and then they lead to the result. It's not a, it's not a mathematical formula. Maybe someone has got it as a mathematical formula, but I think it's not. I mean, yeah, probably, yeah, probably somebody has done that, but. Um, yeah. I think you're right. It's, it's not masculine, masculine itself, right? I think once you start removing the vagueness out of, of your directives that you're giving your team and, and your goals and you're really clear. In the last firm I was at, we effectively didn't have any communication from the leadership team as to what the core goals of the business were. So everybody floated around. We got stuff done, but we all floated around somewhat. What we're doing here at Growth Gorilla, by being really clear as these are the numbers. This is what we want to achieve. These are the sorts of co- companies we want to be speaking to. Th- these are the sorts of projects we want to work on. And being really clear about it, you immediately get people's buy-in straight away. Switching streams of tad, because we, we're sort of talking about leadership and building culture and think all of those sorts of things. With FinTech, has also come about more recognition around 
I think diversity and inclusion, if you go back sort of 10 years, I used to work for Barclays Wealth and, and the senior management team all looked the same, or, or at least it, it was a very clear demographic that, that, that they were, but as time has gone by, we're now seeing companies like Big Pay and, and then other firms and whatnot from around the globe, really, really taking center stage. And I think a lot of that is underpinned by the diversity that they do have. What's your sort of take around being a woman in fintech and then more specifically a woman in a senior leadership position within fintech? What's your take on that? And where do you think I suppose diversity is heading in that sort of sense? Yeah. Not the best question about that. But it's a good question. It's a very broad topic as such as well. So I'll start with, I've worked in financial services since the beginning of my career. I studied engineering. So since I was in in uni, I worked in a male-dominated environment. So it's not that I got used to it, but yeah, that's been the norm since I went to uni. And then over the, the beginning of my career, especially in the UK, exactly what in Barclays. I, at some point, I was very aware that I was the only woman. Yes. This is like a little story. I remember being in Canary Wharf, taking the lift in the morning, and I was like, oh my God, there's only, <laughs> there's only suited men around me in the lift, like all the time. And I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. But then while I was in the UK, my insecurity was never being a woman. It was, I'm a foreigner. It's like, I'm not from the UK. I have a different accent. That, that was like, that was stuck in my head. As I started growing up in my career, the diversity topic started coming up. So I think some people genuinely started valuing the diversity of thought, not because I'm a woman because of my gender, but it's because diversity of thought. People started seeing value in that. For example, Ricky Knox is a perfect example. When we sent ourselves to go and build Tandem, it was not, let's go and bring a bunch of bankers to go and build another bank because we'll go and build the same thing that we already know. It was like, let's build from creative people from different industries. Yes, and some bankers so that them because we need to know the industry, right? So I think there is an acknowledgement of diversity of thought. Then you have another stream of thinking that diversity has just become like a quota that you need to fill in, right? Yeah, it's this thing that we need to do. So I think it's about balancing. At some point I was very like, oh yes, women in fintech, this, the other. But I don't know, over the months lately, I've been thinking more, hey, not women in fintech. It is men in fintech. Women in fintech, young people in fintech, old people in fintech, people from very good unis and private unis, people from not so very good unis, people from a non-financial services background coming into the fintech, people from a non-product background coming into the product team. So that's what I'm trying to do. It's more of a stop focusing a lot on just women in fintech and focusing on how do we have diversity of thought, but, but as we build a team, it is about 
how do we create an environment where people feel this sense of belonging? Where we, can we create an environment where people trust each other? And then it doesn't matter like the color of your skin, the religion, the gender. It's like we could all look different and have different backgrounds. And you put us all in this melting pot that's called the office. But if we don't have that environment where people have psychological safety, where people feel that they trust each other, where they can genuinely be themselves and say, quote unquote, stupid ideas without any fear of somebody's going to look at me weird. I think then diversity is just a facade. So it's not just diversity in terms of who you have in the room, but it's like in which environment do you have them in the room? And I think that should be the future of diversity, focusing on creating that environment for everyone to be able to express. Even if you were to have, let's say, traditional banking, where it's, like I said, certain backgrounds, and they tend to be male-dominated. Even if you had that certain cult of people in the room, all of them have certain diversity of thought and background, but just because of the similarity, you will think the same way. But the key is unlocking those ideas from people by creating the right environment. I went around to your goals, but uh, I think it's about that. I think a point around that sort of psychological safety is key, because while you're talking, I was thinking around, if I go back 10, 15 years when Actually, I started, I started in the sea about 20 years ago. It's funny how you said you were very conscious when you were in the elevator in Canary Wharf. I remember there's a black guy that I used to work with and he always used to say to me, like, we used to catch a train together and he would go, you always know when you get into London and he'd look up and you just see that the entire train was just filled with white men. And at that time I was, I was a broker. So I was on the early train at seven in the morning. Mm -hmm. And when you get onto the trading floor, it was, it was very much one type of person. Yeah. Nearly everyone was from Essex and I was this sort of this Indian lad from Harrow. And that point around psychological safety was that I always felt like I had to be very guarded and very measured in what I say, said in the way I behaved. And I almost didn't want my own personal culture to leak out too much because I didn't want to draw attention to myself and remind them that actually I'm not one of them. That you're different. Because exactly that. And, I, exactly. and, I think and that I, you're not one of them. I felt that before in my career that it's, yeah, not. That's why it's so important to foster that sense of belonging. It's improved massively. And I think uh, people have taken conscious efforts to put in guardrails around that. But I think that there's always going to be a degree of I think there's two things here. I think there's always, it's going to be a degree of, you can only create a certain amount of guidelines before you end up censoring people. And then you end up over-indexing on diversity, which then leads to people who are not considered to be part of the diverse group. (laughs) Yeah. They then end up being silenced for their opinion. Right. So there's that as well. And I always think. It's a difficult line to tread. You do a fair amount of uh, mentoring to women in the fintech space, or is this a particular group of women that you tend to mentor, or is it anyone that wants your help or, or anyone who asks? I started with 
women in fintech because that's what marketing says, right? You have to pick a niche. And that's why I was like, I'm a woman. And I have a specific like history in the industry with, and I see the world as a woman. But in reality, I mentor whoever reaches out to me and I'm like, oh, I think I can help regardless of where they are based and what's their gender. But because of my gender, <laughs> and I think because people identify with you as a leader in, because of how you look, then I tend to attract more women. And that's another thing. It's, I do believe as I've been, I don't know, the past 10 years of my career, I noticed that, for example, my mom, and my friend's moms, they never had an executive job, like in a bank, like nowhere. Like when I was a kid, I never thought about moving to the other side of the world and starting a new bank. That was just not a thing. And that was not what my mom did. And what I have this hypothesis that if you are a working woman under 50, 50 and under, your mom did not work as a executive professional as we know it today. Therefore, we do not have that role model to go and say, hey mom, how did you deal with that? Or like, we don't, or it's not even the, how did you deal with that? We didn't see them as executive working moms and still having a fulfilling life. So part of, I think, I do believe that A, you become the, some of the five people that you hang out with. And then B, I believe that you cannot be that which you cannot see because it's not just in your field of visibility and your consciousness. Therefore, I think it's super important not only to have, let's say, diverse teams, but also to showcase that diversity, to showcase women, for example, and not only to showcase, but to also act as that role model or that mentor to the women that are and young people that are coming up and just starting their career. That's important to me on a personal level. I love Mexico, my home country, like when I was very young, it comes with its own struggles, but at the same time, people helped me along the line. Like I'm not here because, because I did everything on my own. No, I'm here because I, since very young, I was very curious and I always ask questions. <laughs> always asked so many questions, but there were these very kind people where I was working that they took the time to answer all my questions and they took the time to guide me. And when I was lost, they would be like, oh no, why don't you do this? And all that stuff. So people helped me be where I am today. So it's just human nature. You, you're kind and you want to do the same for others. I do agree with what you're saying myself as well. There's definitely people who have help me along the way in my career. But I think there's also a degree of taking ownership over mm. your own sort of destiny and your own decisions as well. And I think there's going to be a level of discipline. That's part of that as well, which you know, there's a handful of people I can think of that I think have really done that. They've gone, okay, I don't fit, it. I don't fit the traditional mold, but this is what I want to do. So what are the questions that I need to ask? in order to collect the information that I need that will help me move forward and, and get to where I want to be. If you're not willing to ask the questions and then take that ownership, I, I think you'd have the best mentors in the world, but you're not going to move forward, oh, right? 
Yes, that is a very good point. It's like, it starts with you. You and like, exactly, you can have best advice ever, but you don't take action, you don't take action. But what I've noticed is people tend to help you slash give advice. It's not help, it's just like share their time and wisdom mm -hmm. with you. When they see that you are, that you're hardworking, highly motivated, have a good vibe, all of that stuff, people are more likely to be like, I oh, yeah, sure. But I think equally as well, you can't sit there waiting to be discovered as well, right? Whenever I talk about this, I think about my, my, my wife because, so she done about 15 years at HSBC and she's now a consultant at EY. The EY culture is, from what I've seen, they're really big now on, on pushing diversity. And I think they've realized that, hold on a second, this is a bit of a superpower for us that if we promote this, then actually we keep and retain good members of staff, but also actually the delivery of results is much better. There's been a few people that my wife has come across in her career at EY. She's been there back in just over a year and a bit now. And they pulled to the side and said, hey, look, you're doing great stuff here, but you need to talk about it. You need to talk about the great stuff that you're achieving. You need to talk about your story and you need to communicate that to people. And, and she's taken that on board and that's really helped us. I think. I compare, I wish it was at HSBC, but they didn't quite foster that, foster mm. that sort of environment, but there were some people that kind of caught on to that and then done quite well there. So I think, yes, you've got to do all of those things of, you've got to turn up to work. You've got to put the hours in, you've got to do the hard work, ask those right questions. And, but then at the same time, it's talking about what your achievements are and then seeking out those mentors that can help you. That's, that's my yes. opinion anyway. Yes, that's a very good point. And this reminds me of a manager I had many years ago that he, and I don't do this anymore. Was, maybe I should. He was like, throughout the year, write down what are your achievements so that then you can go and talk about them. When it comes to performance review this year, it's like you've been tracking your achievements throughout the year and then it's, you keep making reference to them. I was like, oh yeah, that's a good point. They don't do that, but uh, it's that same point about you can be the best and this is coming back to marketing right you can have the best product but if no one knows about it then no one knows about it and then no one will buy so same you can be the smartest best work ethic most knowledgeable about one thing but if people don't know about you then it's going to be more challenging for you to find opportunities I always make that recommendation as well. I tell people to create a bright book to get any emails, any positive feedback, A, to always ask for it. And then B, when they've got it, save it. In the olden days, I used to say, print it out and stick it in a folder. But now it's like, collate all the information. And then, yeah, have that for, for your reviews or whatever it is, or job interviews. I, I always get impressed by the, the best interviewees, I think, are the ones that come in. Two things really, they're prepared to take notes. And then second of all, they can, you know, they're bought evidence, they're demonstrating their achievements and they go and they'll go, they ask them a question and they'll go, they give you the answer and then they'll go, oh yeah. And here's this email for, from such and such that said how happy I, how happy they are with the work that I've done. And you think if someone comes to me and, and interviews like that, of course I'm going to hire them because they're just yeah. prepared and, and, and it's such a simple simple way to set yourself apart in, in my view anyway you've got your own podcast do you tend to talk about 
a lot of the diversity pieces within your podcast was a little bit more focused on product or, or is it a bit of both? So tell us a bit about your podcast. Yeah, it's a mix, actually. I like the human side, right? So usually I start with some mindset questions so that then I get to know the person in front of me that it's like, hey, how did you deal with tough times? Okay, your career advice, what's the best or the worst lesson that you've had? It tells you a little bit more about the person behind behind the microphone. And then my podcast is... It's again, it's very purpose-driven, how we build purpose-driven fintechs. And I believe one way to do that is via product. But then for us to do product, it's not just UI, UX, and beautiful clothes. Product is the amalgamation of many disciplines. And the end result is, it looks like a journey, but it's not a journey. It is many things. But for us to understand, to have like really good product, we need to start by solving a problem, right? So I'm very keen to understand all the founders that come to the podcast. It's like, why? Like, why did they decide to go and start this company? Because it's very hard to build a company. <laughs> it's hard to build a fintech. So it's like, why did they go into this journey? I see what's the purpose behind the company. So that's number one, understanding the purpose. And then we start going deeper into the their customers. It's what are the customer pain points that you have? Then based on that, we start going a little bit more detail on, oh, if this is a pain point, how are you solving pain points in a different way? And what are the challenges that you've had? And sometimes we do go into more specific, so product as a discipline as such. Hey, how did you do prioritization? That's everybody's headache. Or more technical bits about product. But then you cannot have product without a great culture. So I, I like talking about culture as well in terms of leadership and how do they keep people motivated, thoughts about diversity. I don't like scripting it a hundred percent. So sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll talk about diversity and I don't because, because we've run out of time. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I talking about all the elements of one can make fintech better. Brilliant. Before, before I let you go, and I think that's a nice place to end, I'll take you through our quick fire round. So other than obviously the FML podcast and your uh, Purpose Driven Fintech podcast, what, what other podcasts are you listening to at the moment? Oh, <laughs> the Diary of the CEO. That's the number oh. one podcast. I know everybody listens to that, but yeah, that one all the time. Yeah. I've got, I've got mixed feelings about Stephen Bartlett, but we don't have enough time never, to cover I that. I never finished them. I just start them, but I never finished. He hooked me with a video and I go, oh, and then I, let's see, 10 minutes and I'm out. Yeah. I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I'm Parkinson, but he, he's not the best interviewer I've come across. It's, it's just a little bit dry at times. But anyway, I've got opinions on that. <laughs> and then other than Big Pay, who, what's your favorite? fintech app or favorite fintech brand yes i love discovering fintechs i love finding out like oh one of my favorite ones is uh these ladies in Nepal. so they started not with an app because the people that they were serving didn't really have access to internet as such so they went back to sms but then this is a blockchain enabled fintech 
So what I love, it's like finding all those little stories. Oh, those guys are doing something very interesting. And I don't have a favorite. I have a, well, I, I like identifying new ones. Because... I know it's, 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 so sometimes you come across a, a platform or an app or an idea and you think, wow, that's just really cool. Really, it's, sometimes it's really simple, but it's such an intelligent take on solving a problem. Yeah, absolutely. What books are you currently reading or, or would recommend to our listeners? I'm not reading a book. I've been more like Googling lately. I went to a meetup the other day and this lady, she said that she was reading a lot about goddesses across all the religions. And right. then I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And she was like, oh, yeah, like. Buddha, usually you have like male Buddha, but then it's like, there's all these female Buddha. And I'm like, what? So I've been starting to read about goddesses across all the religions out of curiosity. That's my latest, other than fintech and product and work, work stuff. <laughs> That's been my latest <laughs> fascination of the month. <laughs> I know it'll change soon, probably. And uh, what's one thing that I haven't asked you that I I perhaps should have asked you. What's my next adventure? Yeah. What, what is your next adventure? Do you know yet? Yeah, I love hiking. I think I'm starting to gear towards a proper hike. Like, I'm because in Malaysia, we have the jungle. So I love hiking. Like, yeah. the weekend, it's a one-hour hike nearby or a three-hour hike. But I'm like, oh, how about proper hike? I think that's going to be my next adventure. In my younger days, I did a three month, was it? Yeah, three week trek in Malaysia oh. across the Crocker Range on the island of Borneo. Yeah, that was hard going. Yes, I can imagine. Was, yeah, it oh. was hard going. If you don't like bugs and you don't like spiders and no. creepy crawlies, it's not the place for you. No, um, no, there, no, it's there, not. There's no. You've not felt fear until you've got a. <laughs> A rhino beetle with a wingspan about that big flying at your head. <laughs> it was scary, but brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I like, I love getting into the jungle. This weekend I got beaten by something and I'm like, blood everywhere. And that's it. It's part Le of the adventure. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. I was like, I was screaming. I was like, <laughs> 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 brilliant. Uh, okay, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you for your time. Likewise, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. The FML podcast is brought to you by Growth Gorilla. To find out how our marketing growth experts can boost your fintech's growth, head to growthgorilla.co.uk and make sure to search for the FML podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Growth Gorilla, thanks for listening.